Tim entered Marine Corps boot camp in May of 1984, after which he went to infantry training school, where he earned the Military Occupation Specialty, or MOS, as an 0341. After serving several years in the infantry, he became a Marine Corps drill instructor, where he turned nasty civilians into Marines. After completing this challenging billet, he went back to the infantry and became a scout sniper. Tim did several deployments before retiring from the Marines as a gunnery sergeant after 20 years. Tim was able to get certified and trained as a police officer while still being a Marine during his free time, and once retired, he rolled into a police officer position for the city of Hemet, California. During his 15 years as a police officer, he was a firearms instructor, SWAT team member, and an advanced sniper, among other roles. He is now retired, but is pursuing a college degree and works part-time. Hello everyone and welcome to Ghost Turd Stories. I'm your host, Troy Gent. Ghost Turd Stories' mission is using humorous and challenging stories from veterans and first responders to reduce the burden of families whose veteran or first responder took their own life. Ghost Turd Stories' vision is to use humorous and challenging stories to prevent suicide within our ranks and reduce the burden of families whose veteran or first responder took their own life. We hope to attract veterans and first responders as well as those interested in knowing more about what it's like to be in our shoes while we wear or wore those shoes. At Ghost Herd Stories, we tell and write the stories of veterans and first responders for their families and friends. We love storytelling and believe there is nothing more inspiring and nothing that gets people to take action like a great story. Families and friends want to know the sacrifices we made, the services we rendered, and the people we lifted so they can be inspired and learn about the legacy we left. Our podcast is the face of our company, but we want every family who cares to know about the experiences their veteran and or first responder went through for them. We interview veterans and first responders, collect pictures, write their stories, and compile them in a book for their families and friends to enjoy. Oftentimes, it's difficult for us to talk to our loved ones about what we did, saw, and heard while serving. At Ghost Turd Stories, we bridge the gap. For pricing, visit linktr.ee forward slash ghost turd stories and click on the second tab directly under the podcast link called let us write your story. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E forward slash G-H-O-S-T-T-U-R-D-S-T-O-R-I-E-S. So uh, welcome, Tim. Go ahead and tell us about a little bit about you and your Marine Corps career and then what you did afterward as a police officer. All right, so I, I joined the Marine Corps, and uh, actually it was February of 1980. I was at college. I wasn't doing too well at college. I was in Idaho. 
I had no family support, nobody to actually uh, pay my way or anything like that. And nobody in my family ever went to school. So I did not have anyone to look up to or to help me to teach me how to be a student. So consequently, when I went to college, I, I was just shooting from the hip. And just like any other workforce you go into, there is a system involved in being a good student. And if you're not a good student and no one ever taught you or you didn't figure it out at an early age, you don't do very well. So uh, I started trying to think of other things. And uh, I was at a point in my time where I wanted to uh, conquer some fears. I had a roommate that was from the same town as me. He had joined the Marine Corps, but he was on a wrestling team in high school. And we called him the fish of the team. So if you were always getting pinned, you were a fish because you're fluffing around on the mat. And uh, so we called him the fish of the team. And I thought, man, if that guy passed boot camp, then there's hope for me. So I said, you know, maybe I'll go into the Marine Corps. But I was in college and my intent was to go into the Marine Corps as a reserve. And when a recruiting office recruits for a reserve in that area, they recruit for the reserve unit in that area. And at that time, Boise was the closest reserve area to Rexburg. And they were tanks. They were Marine Corps tanks. So they did up all this paperwork and everything. And off to MEPS, I go into Boise. Well, they find out I was colorblind, which I already knew. No one ever asked me that. And so I did the color dot test. They pull me aside and send me into this office with this big yoked out gunny. This guy was in his Charlie's, you know, the short sleeve and nice ribbons and stuff. But he was, he was a big guy. He obviously hit the gym a lot. He said, uh, yeah, we're not going to be able to take you. You're colorblind. And I said, yes, sir, I am. But how come I can't be a Marine? And he said, well, you can't be a tanker. And I said, well, I don't understand. Why can't I be a tank? Because to me, all tanks look the same. So they're not color-coded. <laughs> so why, why would that be an issue? And yeah. he goes, I don't know. Maybe there's some fucking color dots inside those things. I don't know. I've never been in one. So I said, well, um, I really want to be a Marine. So uh, what's my other options? And he goes, well, we always have places for cooks. And to be honest with you, I, I, if I was going to join the Marine Corps, I definitely didn't want to be a cook. Nothing against Marine Corps cooks or chefs or whatever they call them, food services. I just, if I was going to step off into the Marine Corps, I wanted to be what everybody supported. So I didn't know anything about the Marine Corps other than what this roommate had told me. And uh, later on, I, I realized in high school, I had a cousin who had joined the Marine Corps and he worked his way up to staff sergeant and then ended up getting a bad conduct discharge. He was a recruiter that was playing with the <laughs> police when he wasn't supposed to. So he goes, well, I'll send you back to your uh, recruiter in Rexburg and he'll talk about it. And I said, well, no, I, you know, what, what would happen if I go, go active duty full time? And he goes, well, your options definitely would open up. And I said, uh, well, I'll just go active duty. And he goes, fine, that's something you can talk with your recruiter. And I go, I don't need to talk to my recruiter. And I said, but if I go active duty, I want to go into infantry. I want to be a grunt. And he goes, are you fucking stupid? Do we need to take you and give you a piss test? He goes, have you been drinking? He goes, have you been smoking? No one comes in and wants to go into the infantry. And I said, well... Sir, if I have no place to go. And he goes, you have a college. And I go, yeah, but I'm not doing well in college. I really have no place to go. I want to go in the Marine Corps, but I only want to do it if you can make me an infantry. So they sent me into this other room with this other interview. And it was a lady 
And I don't know if she was civilian. She wasn't in uniform, but she would say, oh, you never took a little toke. And she was trying to be my buddy, but you could see that she wasn't very good at it. <laughs> She'd be like, oh, come on, just a little toke trying to be my friend. I'm like, whoa, I know what you're trying to do, but no, not even a little toke. And a toke is like a puff. Back then, that's what we called a toke on a joint. They went around and they, you know, they give you a piss test on all that stuff. And they sent it back, sent me back to Rexburg. So I go up into Rexburg in the middle of the night. I'm just kind of lounging in my apartment and a big old bang, 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 bang is on the door. And I, I went to answer the door and it was my recruiter. He goes, what the hell is wrong with you? I send you to MEPS as a reserve tanker. You come back active duty infantry. Are you stupid? Do we need to piss test you? And I'm like, is that the answer to the Marine Corps? Everything you do, they want to piss test you? So the gunny at MEPS, he said, well, that's what I am in infantry. And I was thinking, wow, if I go into infantry, I'm going to grow and be big like him. So I was pretty excited about it. But my recruiter was in infantry, and he says, oh, they're going to chew you up and blah, blah, blah. Really, lack of faith. But I, I think that he was more pissed off because they get a quota. He had to put in so many reserves and so many active duties per month. And I think that maybe I screwed up his quota. <laughs> so I finished out that semester, and I actually went to uh, Arizona uh, to hang out with my mom and my stepdad and my brothers before I went to boot camp. And my intent was to actually drive back up to Idaho and leave from there because that's where they had me slotted to leave from as Boise Maps. And I went with a friend going down a river in Arizona and got a real bad sunburn and had to go to the doctor and it was really bad. So I had to call my recruiter who yelled at me and then some guy from the Boise Maps yelled at me and and then they said, okay, you're going to ship on this day, but you're going to ship out of Phoenix, Arizona. And I go, oh, okay, that's cool. So in the middle of the night, one day I got on the plane and went over and went into boot camp. And, and I found almost initially, I really, really enjoyed boot camp. Well, nobody truly enjoys boot camp, but it wasn't as culture shock. I come from a very aggressive family where there was a lot of hitting. And uh, I remember I one of the first interactions I had with my drill instructors when they released my platoon to the training company. And we had uh, my senior drill instructor, Staff Sergeant Vaughn. And then we had the strong J was a guy, my name is Staff Sergeant Cochran. And then there was a third hat who was just this big Samoan. He, uh, maybe he was Tongan. I don't know, but his name was Sergeant Sapulamai. So they taught you how to request permission to speak. And I requested to speak to Drill Sergeant, Sergeant Sapalupi. Well, Sapalupi. you don't call them Drill Sergeants and you definitely don't mispronounce your drill instructor's name. He goes, what the fuck did you say? And he just starts sprinting across the classroom at me. And I was standing at the position of attention. And the only thought in my mind was, oh, gosh, this is going to hurt. That's all I was thinking. I was thinking, all right, just don't flinch, but this is going to hurt. And he cocked back in a full sprint with his right arm, and he took a swing and stopped within, you know, like an inch, inch and a half from my face, and I didn't even flinch. He goes, you you know you got some balls for a little man. <laughs> I'm like, okay, that's cool. But I, I learned my lesson, and I said, okay, well, from now on, I'm going to learn, and I'm not going to push the envelope. What other things did you see in uh, in boot camp? Maybe some things that happened to other recruits or that happened to you. <laughs> oh, as a as a recruit. <laughs> well, 
we had two guys. Uh, so, you know, they line you up from the tallest to the shortest, right? So I was always on the little end because I was one of, of three short guys. And me and this other guy named uh, Mendoza. Mendoza came from Mexico. He was there on a green card and he had joined the Marine Corps. Mendoza didn't speak a whole lot of English, but he, he was able to communicate. We had another Filipino kid that could hardly speak English at all. And that interaction between him and Sergeant Sapolomai was just absolutely hilarious. You could have a bad day. And when they had interacted, it would just, it, we, it was so hard to keep your bearing because you get caught laughing or smiling. You know, you had to deal with that. One particular one with Mendoza was because the smallest ones on, on the end, they always chose us to be what they call house mouses or duty hut recruits. We had to go in and clean the duty hut. At one particular time, I was in cleaning the shower in the head, and I heard Staff Sergeant Cochran come in, and he goes, get the hell out of here. And Mendoza didn't even skip a beat. He just ran out. Didn't tell him I was in cleaning the head. He didn't turn around and say, recruit brewer, come on. So I'm in the shower and Staff Sergeant Cochran doesn't see me. He walks into the head and immediately, you know, starts unzipping as he's walking into the head to take a piss. And all I could think of doing is I just glued myself to the wall where he would not see me. <laughs> I was trying really hard not to even breathe. And he just had this sixth sense that somebody was watching. So with his junk in his hand, he leans back where he had a view into the uh, shower and he sees me and uh, immediately you blah, 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 and starts calling me names. And I take off in a full sprint. He's trying to zip up and not get urine all over his pants as he's chasing me down. And in the squad bay, you have two rows of racks, and and the center, you never go down the center. That's called the DI highway. You don't go down the center. You go against the bulkhead. I sprinted down the center of that <laughs> DI highway. I was just like, oh, man, I got to get out of here. And all I could think, I don't know where I was going, to the back of the squad bay, I guess. He stopped his pursuit, and he just yelled and yelled and yelled. And eventually, the senior drill instructor come in, and he's like, hey, drill instructor, what's going on? And he goes, oh, that little blah, blah, blah. And I mean, he was pissed. And he's like, ah, he was in there trying to look at my junk and buy and all this bad stuff. So my senior goes, duty hut recruits in my office now. So he goes in there and senior drill instructor is sitting behind his desk. And me and recruitment, those are standing six inches and centered on his desk right next to each other. And he goes, what the hell is going on? How come I have a drill instructor that wants to kill you guys? And so I start to explain to him what had happened. I said, sir, this recruit was in the shower cleaning and drill instructor came in and recruit Mendoza didn't tell this recruit that the senior was coming or that the drill instructor was coming in. So I was just trying to just be there and be quiet because I knew I wasn't supposed to be there. And he goes, oh, so it's recruit Mendoza's fault. And I said, sir, this this recruit doesn't want to blame another recruit. I'll take the full blame, you know, doing the recruit thing. And he goes, fine, hit him. And I just stood there and he goes, what the hell did I just say? Recruit Brewer hit recruit Mendoza. Sir, this recruit doesn't want to hit another recruit. And he goes, I didn't ask you if you wanted to do it. I said, hit him. He set you up, hit him. And so I tried to get out of it one more time and the senior drill instructor stood up out of his seat and he goes, I will not tell you again. So I reached back to Texas and I wallop Mendoza across the back of the head and knocked him down. Mendoza got up and went right to the position of attention. And the senior drill instructor says, 
are we finished here now? And both of us in unison said, sir, yes, sir. So when we walked out of that duty hut, Mendoza looked at me and he goes, oh, man, that fucking hurt. (laughs) (laughs) All you had to do was yell at me and tell me that he was coming in. Don't do that. But anyway, another thing with Filipino kid, and I, I, I don't want to say his name because he actually careered it in the Marine Corps. I seen him years later, and he was actually a staff sergeant. He learned how to speak English, too. So the recruit secretary, the scribe, we called him, would set up the duty hut, recruit, or duty hut fire watch. If Sergeant Sapulamai was the drill instructor on duty, he would put this kid as the first fire watch because the drill instructors had to stay on deck for like 15 minutes well, the fire watch had to run around and count all the rifles and the rifle racks around the back. And they come back and he had a certain script he had to stick to and report how many recruits there was and how many rifles there were. So it was always hilarious. We'd always be laughing in our racks because we'd be laying in our racks just waiting for this. None of us would go to sleep until this interaction would occur. Because you were waiting there because it was it was going to be funny? Well, Sergeant Sapulamai had that real Polynesian thick accent, which made it more difficult for the recruit who had a hard time speaking English anyway. And so he goes, go get my count. And he didn't know what he was saying. So the recruit would just stand there and he goes, you looking at me? Why are you staring at me? And then every time he would go, are you queer for my gear? And he would say, sir, yes, sir. Because he had no idea what he was saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Eventually, he would get the count. And half Tagalog and half English, he would yell out this count. And uh, Sergeant Sapulamai says, slow down. Do I look like a computer? And he goes, sir, yes, sir. Everything he said, <laughs> he would yeah. say, sir, yes, sir, to everything. So uh, it was just a, a hilarious interaction. It was a really good comic relief to the end of the day. And I don't think that, <laughs> I don't think he knew. I don't think that recruit knew that, that he was our comic relief, but he was really trying to, he was struggling. He was really trying to do good, but he graduated. And that happened every night or just when Sergeant Sapolomai was on duty? Only when Sergeant Sapolomai, because he, they just went, everybody stood firewatch. So it was just like, you know, a's through z's and and when your time came up but the scribe knew the drill instructor's schedule so he would do that on purpose so yeah he would he would purposely put, <laughs> he goes oh yeah hey sergeant sapulamai is on duty tonight yeah so guess what's gonna happen yeah. I go, oh man <laughs> that's <laughs> awesome putting our our blankets in our mouth to keep from laughing so hard it was pretty interesting. And then um, back then, if you were, I was guaranteed infantry, so I knew. But the drill instructors didn't know what your MLS was until third phase. It's like the last week. Because that's when open contracts, you come in open contracts, they had determined what MLS was going to be. So they'd stand in front and they'd say, hey, this is your MLS, this is your MLS. Well, a lot of them were guaranteed contracts, which we already knew. Some of those guys, it was obvious that they were guaranteed because – Typically, you don't send an open contract to be a, uh, a mechanic on a CH-46 helicopter. Those require certain test scores and stuff. So my senior drill instructor says, Brewer, 0300. And he goes, what? And like I said, I was a small old guy. He goes, 0300. I said, yeah, sir, yes, sir. This recruit requested guaranteed 0300. And he goes, are you stupid? 
Do we need a piss test? <laughs> All the way through boot camp, they're still calling you stupid. It comes a piss test again. He goes, I hope you loved uh, the field portion of boot camp. And I said, sir, this recruit did, which I did, and I hated it. You learn to lie for your own safety. <laughs> it's a self-preservation in the Marine Corps. But anyway, that started off my career. And then I ended up uh, going to barracks duty, and I came back, and I was in the infantry. And moved around, got promoted to sergeant, returned to San Diego to be a drill drill instructor. What was drill instructor school like for you? I've heard it's like going through boot camp again, but... It it is, and I'd been told that, and be honest with you, I never wanted to be a drill instructor up to this point in my career. I always wanted to be a recruiter because I always wanted to take those skills and apply them to business when I was out of the Marine Corps because I had not intended on being in the Marine Corps for 20 years, uh, like it happened. But what I realized in being a Marine was that very few people had war stories about drill instructors. Everybody had war stories about the recruiters. My recruiter lied to me. My recruiter lied to this guy. My recruiter fudged this paperwork. And I'm like, oh, man, there's a lot of bad recruiters. Now, I'm sure that most of them were not true. But no one came up to me and said, oh, my drill instructor, he was an idiot. Oh, my drill instructor is this. They always like, even the ones that hated the Marine Corps, they were like, yeah, the Marine Corps sucks. But you know what? My senior drill instructor was a good guy. You know, he he taught me good stuff. So I'm like, you know what? I'm not going to sweet talk anybody into coming to the Marine Corps. I'm going to let the Marine Corps sell itself. So I'll just worry about training them. And so I put in a drill instructor package and I got selected. And I was sitting on Okinawa and when the... Uh, Orders first came in. They had me going to Paris Island, but I had to report to Paris Island the next day by the time the orders got to me. So there was no way to TMO me from Okinawa because I was there a company tour. I couldn't go from Okinawa to, to the East Coast of the United States overnight. So they sent out a message and uh, I got an apology and said, hey, my bad. What do you want to do? And I said, I'd like to go to San Diego because we always want to go back home, you know, back to where you started. And uh, he said, all right, well, that class not picking up, so you're going to have to extend another month. And I go, all right, that's cool. When I reported, initially reported in a boot camp, there was nobody in the building. You go in there, you report to the staff duty, you know, and everything, and you see the pictures on the wall. You smell that recruit smell on that depot. It kind of brings back that anxiety. So the drill instructor school is on the depot? Yes, drill instructor school is on deep on the opposite side of the parade deck as the uh, recruit training barracks. The very first day of DI school, we were told flat out, you're going to be in this uniform. And even if you lived off base, you had to maintain a barracks because there was open base squad base at that time. And all the drill instructor students had to live in these open base squad base. Didn't matter what your rank was. You all lived in open base squad base. And you had a foot locker and a wall locker. And even if you lived off base, it didn't matter. You had to maintain that rack on base with all your stuff. So I remember the first day I'm in my Charlie's and I'm not wanting to sit down, you know, because there's an inspection every day. So you don't sit down. And in comes two instructors who are walking through the squad bay, not for no other reason other than the fact that it's on their way to the classroom. And they were wearing campaign covers. And I thought, crap, just my heart sunk on, man, I'm back in boot camp. Why did they have to wear? And I looked at the guy next to me and I go, why did they have to wear those campaign covers? Were they gunnery sergeants? 
Yeah, the majority of the instructors there were gunnery sergeants, first sergeants, or master sergeants. Um, there was a couple of staff sergeants, but that was it. The most difficult thing about drill instructor school is you memorizing the drill manual. You had to memorize word for word the drill manual, and you had to pass off each drill movement. So you would have to find an instructor, and you had these checkoff sheets, and you'd say, gunnery sergeant, I want to pass off this. And then you had to stand at the position of attention and you had to go word for word for word for word. It was a memorization thing. And you had to pass off all these things. I remember one guy was really good at running. So when we do these individual runs, you had these drill instructors that were really good and would run at a regular clip. And this guy was so good that's when he would pass off his instruction. He would run up beside him and say, I want to pass off uh, this movement. And they goes, all right, go ahead, but keep up with me. I mean, I was just trying to not swallow my tongue on those runs because I was short. <laughs> but what we'd have to do is we'd go out on the parade deck and you'd get in two lines. You always had to have a partner. You get in two lines and uh, one would be on one side of the parade deck and the other one would march at least halfway, if not two-thirds of the way, on the other side of the prey deck. They had it taped off. And you had to stand at the position of attention and yell these drill movements, word for word out of the drill manual, in such a clear voice that they could understand you on the other end. That's a giant parade deck. Oh, it is unbelievable. It's huge. It was so bad that, you know, you lose your voice. And then they heckle you while you're doing it. The instructors that heckle you, oh, wait a minute, I can see your mouth moving, but I don't hear anything. Are you trying to whisper in my ear? Should I take you out to dinner or something? You know, and then if they didn't hear you, they said, nope, start over. And you'd have to start over. So when you lose your voice, you still are held to that same level of expertise. So on the weekends, when the recruits aren't using the prey deck, especially in the morning, you go out there. And you see these drill instructor students sitting out there and they go out there with their little cooler of their sodas or water. And then they stand there and it's nonstop screaming all day long. And that's what you do on your day off until you pass off every one of those drill movements. How long is that school? That school was, it adjusts itself to recruit training. So sometimes it was a 16 week, sometimes it was, you know, three, it basically it's always been somewhat of three months. So let's say recruit training says, yeah, we're pushing recruits, but we're doing it one week less. Then drill instructor school would adjust their schedule to match that same time frame. My wife wasn't working. So what she would do when the boys would say, you know, you know, is daddy coming home? No, daddy's working. And they kind of understood. She would say, hey, let's go see daddy. Now, before I was going to be a Marine, I wanted to be a photographer. So I had a lot of cameras. My wife actually had some cameras that she liked to use. And so uh, I had to recruit to make an extra set of T cards. And I taught her how to read it. And she knew when we were on the parade deck. So we had this band. And so when I was out, I would see our van pull up and park, and then I would march the recruits that way. On some occasions, several occasions, I would be watching as I'm marching them, or somebody was marching them, and I was going around fixing everything. I would see my wife standing outside, and when she recognized me, I would start yelling at a recruit. <laughs> She'd take the picture. <laughs> There was one iconic picture my wife took. 
And I was a strong J. And if you go to boot camp, you always hear this, you know, especially in your column movements, column right, march. And then they go and they go, stop, stop, get back. And they all go back and you do it like four or five times. But sometimes recruits will get out of step and they try to get back in step and stuff like that. And so you can yell and scream at them instantaneous response to orders and there's immediate uh, attention to that so you can yell and scream at him well i remember one time this kid honestly did not do anything wrong <laughs> he was still fine he just happened to be in the little end <laughs> marching in front when my wife had a camera <laughs> and i started yelling at him i said stop i pulled him out of formation uh, the other drone instructor kept the platoon going, and I'm just like wailing on him. Undisciplined, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. My wife took a couple of pictures. One of the pictures actually was published because the kid, his back was towards the camera, and he was standing at a position of attention with at port arms. I'm just leaning into it with my finger. And uh, they made a book called The History of the Marine Corps Drill Instructor. And they asked drill instructors to send in little stories and some photos. That photo had a full page. <laughs> That's awesome. I'd like to see that. Can you text it to me? I can send you the picture, but the book itself, I cannot find where that book is. And the book that I had, this breaks my heart, but uh, later on, years later, when I was working as a police officer, we had a, a guy who was trying to kill a cop. Because he felt that if he killed these investigating officers and the people that were involved in, in his case, then his case would be dismissed. And he firebombed my range. And I lost all of my, and they used aviation fuel, and it just melted the frame of, of the temporary uh, classroom we had there. I had three guns locked up in there and some ammunition and all my plaques, because you know, I was a range master at the time, and I had my plaques from the Marine Corps there. I had cased my original medals, the medals they give you in formation that are, were not anodized or anything. It's just no one ever wore them. I had them mounted and put on a plaque that these are my original medals. Those all melted out. And that book got burned up in that fire. Now I was on the SWAT team that took him down and, uh, and there was some kind of closure with it, but that occurred at least 10 years ago, and I have still not been able to reproduce that book, find where that book is. Lee Irving was actually uh, in that book also, and I seen him one time, and I had him sign my picture. Who, who's Lee Irving? The drill instructor on Full Metal Jacket. Yeah. He's real big on the people. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. I was the range officer in charge before I got out of the Marine Corps as an, as an officer, and this was in 2010 and 11, just into 11. I was the range OIC in 29 Palms, and he came out and did a long-range rifle shooting competition. He was out there with my Marines out there, and they loved it and stuff. It was cool. Yeah, I when I became, I was in charge of uh, a shooting team when I was a young warrant officer, and he brought himself and a bunch of his buddies in and I took some of the M14 match grade because we had all switched over to M16s and I still had a few of these M14 match rifles that haven't been absorbed back into the Marine Corps yet. So he wanted to shoot them so I was the only one on the west coast with them. I took them and provided them. He fired them and when I said yeah just make sure you get them back and so when I got them back 
all of them had just been shot to crap and they were filthy. Probably a couple months later, he was doing a book signing or something. He had a series on History Channel called Mail Call. Anyway, he was doing some signing on Main Side Camp Pendleton, and uh, I walked over to him, and uh, he said, so what do you want me to sign? I go, you don't remember me, do you? And he goes, should I? And I said, you came into town a couple months ago, and you wanted to shoot some match-grade M14s, and I supplied those M14s. And you know what the problem is? When you gave them back to me, they were filthy, and I had to get Lance Corporals to clean them. Well, these guys around me were like in shock that I was talking to him that way. And he goes, well, I appreciate you letting me use those guns. That was a fun evolution, but you don't think the gunny's going to clean that shit, do you? And I said, well, I'll accept that. And he said, good. And he gave me a coin. He gave me a challenge coin. So I still have that challenge coin. And uh, nobody ever asked about it. I said, oh, you got a history you got a history channel challenge coin. I go, yeah, Lee Irving gave me that. He gave me that because he didn't clean the guns I let him use. And so that was his answer. I'm not cleaning it, but here's a coin. <laughs> like, well, whatever. I've been using Isogenics since 2017. These products have made a world of difference in my quality of life, health, energy, muscle definition, strength, and endurance. My bread and butter products have been the Daily Essentials multivitamins with Isogenesis, which is a telomere support supplement, the Isoline meal replacement shake, the Tri-Release protein shake, the collagen, the green drink, and the Cleanse for Life support system. However, Isogenics has many products and can cater to your unique lifestyle and goal. Click the link in the show notes or visit nmp.isogenics.com. Besides just using the products, there is an option to partner with me and the company to build your own business with no capital up front. You can do as little as pay for your products and as much as making a full-time income. I love these products and will use them the rest of my life. For more information, you can email me at ghostturdstories at gmail.com. I was a third drill instructor, a third hat, they call them. So you have your senior drill instructors, usually the highest ranking one or the most senior one there. So your senior drill instructor is the guy that he's the boss. And then he has what they call, we call him a strong J that used to be called the heavy. That's your most experienced drill instructor. He teaches all of the drill. Back in the day, they called him the heavy J. And the reason why is because if you had four drill instructors, Starting off with your senior, he's the nice guy. The strong J or the heavy J, he was like the guy you fear. He was the boogeyman. He was the guy you did not piss off. This guy wasn't stable. you know. And then you got your third and fourth hat, which usually are your brand new drill instructors, and recruits can see those. So you don't have to be a, a seasoned Marine to know when a drill instructor's new. I was third hat. It was a team of three and I was a third hat. So we tell them, tell your family, don't send packages. Don't put perfume on letters and don't put hearts and all that graffiti on the letter. There's no reason for it. We just tell them not to do it. <laughs> as long as it's addressed to them, they'll get it, even with the hearts and stuff. Uh, but we threaten them and say, yeah, we're going to send it back and all that stuff. So this kid gets this letter and I would say... I would call out the kid's name. They would stand up in the position of tension, come up with both hands open, 
clap the letter between the two hands and say, Mel received aye, aye, sir, and then go back and sit down. And then they would just sit there until I said, go ahead and read your letter. Then they'd open it up. Well, this one kid come up and his girlfriend had wrote him a letter that said, I love you, written all over the outside of the letter. I said, oh, how sweet, sweet. We got a puppy dog in our presence. Somebody's little teddy bear is trying to be a big, bad Marine. Look at this. And so I called him and he come up and he stand in a position of tension. And I said, go ahead, read it. Read it out loud. He's facing me and the dinks are, the recruits are behind him. And I said, yeah, go ahead, read it out loud. Now, I'm stupid and I didn't, because I was new, I didn't play it through in my head. And he said, sir, this recruit would rather not. So in my mind, I'm thinking, oh, this is working. My harassment is working because he doesn't want his <laughs> crews to hear that he has a sensitive spot. When in reality, I think that this kid had figured it out before me. And he just didn't want to get caught in this, what was about to happen. And he goes, sir, this recruit just done that. And I said, I said, say it, read it. He goes, I love you, sir. <laughs> really loud. And a matter of fact, total silence in the squad bay, including me. He didn't break the position of attention. He was just waiting for me to just punch him in his face, I think, because he was just standing there. And I, I didn't know what to do. I was like, holy crap. Why didn't I see that coming? And so I had to go into the duty hut and I had to laugh and it was kind of embarrassing, but you can't show embarrassment in front of the recruits and stuff. And, you know, later on, you know, after the kids was graduated, their families were talking about, you know, what was the funniest thing? And he goes, oh, we had a recruit tell the drill instructor that he loved him. <laughs> it's like, oh gosh, of all the things to remember in boot camp. I got one of my drill instructors to, uh, I guess he was a strong Jay was second to the senior and uh, love the guy, but I got him to break his bearing because he said, all right, there's a letter from Beaver, Utah. Who's from Beaver, Utah? And I stood up and I said, this recruit, sir. And he's like, get up here. And I said, all right, sir. So I ran up there and he says, give us a cheer. The cheerleaders give at the football games. <laughs> and I couldn't think of anything. And so I just yell, I I just yelled out, "Go Beavers, go!" And <laughs> the whole squad bay erupted. The, the drill instructor lost his bearing. It was it was great. I had some pretty interesting recruits come through. Uh, it was only a two year duty station when I went through, but I had some very very cool experiences. And I had one guy that was he had played professional football, but he blew out his knee in football, and he couldn't be a football player. He played in the World League. And mostly he played in Europe. He was just this big monstrosity of a man. And uh, I was a strong J. I wasn't even the senior drill instructor on that one. And so I had made him the guide because he was just towering. One time he came to me because you, you divide up your diet recruits. So if they don't care about body fat, at least they didn't then. If you're over your height and weight, you, went, you were a diet private. So you got the diet privates in the last of the line. So they have the less amount of time to eat and your double rats recruits were in the front. So if they were way, way under, then they got double rats and they had the little name badge on their pocket that said double rats or, you know, diet privates or something like that. And they would give them either half portion or double portion. So 
And then they ha- <laughs> they did have a platoon that if they had a problem losing weight and everything, they would be all scooped together in a platoon and then they would PT most every day and they had their own thing until they were ready to go back to a training unit. That platoon was called Pork Chop Platoon. <laughs> I, I don't know why. <laughs> Play stupid. So anyway, this guy around first phase, about halfway through the first phase, he says to me, sir, this recruit has a question. And I said, speak, freak. And he said, this recruit's losing too much weight. <laughs> Request to go on double rats. And I go, there is absolutely no way in God's green earth I'm going to put double rats in you. And he goes, sir, this recruit is just losing too much weight. And I go, you're not going to play football again, so it doesn't matter, right? So anyway, we had this kid. We called him Oops. It wasn't his name. It was close to that. It was his oops. last name, but it was Oops. And at the time, there was a rap song that was oops there it is you know it it was some some weird thing like that poop there it is yeah yeah there it is that's the one and so the recruits sometimes would start singing that song as he was being thrashed in the classroom but they wouldn't do that with me because they knew that you know i'd lose my mind and stuff because i was that was my job that's what i was supposed to do so this kid could not, I tried thrashing him. And when you, you start off with his bunk mate and his bunk mate couldn't unscrew him and you get a squad leader up there and you're thrashing with him and the squad leader couldn't unscrew him. And one day he had wet gear in his wall lock, or in his foot locker. And so I said, forget it. I'm going to, I'm going to bring the guide, the platoon guide up there, which was this football player. So I was just going to town, just yelling and screaming at him, push ups now move, side trial hops now move, you know, and just going at you you're a pig you're a wet gear and your foot locker you know this is not right blah, blah blah no matter what i do i guess you're gonna graduate from boot camp if you do graduate from boot camp you're gonna be strong because you're gonna be really stupid too and i was just going off and i wasn't really paying attention to the guide because he was he was an athlete i mean he was a big guy and he could keep up but i didn't notice that he was getting a little bit fatigued he didn't like to be fatigued so when it's done, I have them both standing in position of attention. I said, all right, guide, I have done everything I can. I have assigned him to just about anybody else. He is now your problem. Unscrew him. And I had turned around to go back into the duty hut and something told me, turn back around. And so I turned around to look and that kid had picked up, oops, by his uniform and his feet were just dangling. <laughs> And he had him face to face saying something in a very low monotone voice. And I didn't know what he was saying, but he was holding this kid and this kid looked like a rag doll. He was just kind of sitting, his feet were off the ground. So I, I walked very calmly over to him and I said, guide, put him down. And he kept holding him, just staring at his face. And I said, guide, put him down. And I said, I will kick you in your balls as hard as I can put him down. And so he put him down. He turned around to me and he went back to the position of attention very calmly. He was very calm. And I know he was expecting to get thrashed again, but I said, was it worth it? And he said, only time will tell, sir. Well, then let's give it time. And I didn't hear anything from ops the rest of that cycle. (laughs) I think he put the fear of God in him. (laughs) Thank you for listening. Please tell your friends and family so that we can bring more joy and awareness to those struggling with suicide ideation and the families who desperately need help after the loss of someone they love to 
suicide. <laughs> 